So the the thing that uh, sort of is a push between computers and AI, uh, and sorry, and and uh, science fiction is I started thinking more and more about AI. Mm. So I decided to uh, do my graduate degree in artificial intelligence mm. in computer science. Um, at that point, this was pre. Um, what they call the nuclear holocaust for AI, right? Mm. So there's AI and then nuclear holocaust for about, AI was dead for about five, seven years and mm. then boom, it took off again. Right. Um, so um, so I knew I was gonna do that, but what I didn't understand is um, when you take a systems approach to trying to figure out AI, uh, you bump into a lot of the metaphysical questions. Mm. How are we creative and can AI be creative? Right. right? right. Um, so, and you start to realize the limits of yeah. um, what you know. Because if you want to build something, you need to understand what it is you're trying to cause to happen, right? Right. And uh, until today, a lot of my thinking and my reasoning comes from that time where uh, systems, computing, and metaphysics sort of met. Welcome to the MHV Podcast. We speak with leading founders, VCs, and operators on their journey in Southeast Asia. Learn more at www.monkshill.com. Hey, uh, good to see you, Peng. Hi, good to see you. Well, uh, we've been working together for the past year, and I think this is time for us to uh, hear a little bit more about your past. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, we're talking about your past, you know, what was it like growing up, Bing? Um, I, I tell people I grew up in uh, an emerging market. It, it, basically, uh, I remember times when I was running around barefooted in back alleys and yeah. stuff like that when I was a little kid. So um, it's pretty amazing to see where the world has gone in the time that I've been alive. Um, uh, it literally was, you know, rickshaws. Well, not rickshaws, but you know, people. You could get on a in, in a bicycle or not a bicycle. What do you call it? Trishaw. Yeah, trishaw. Yeah, yeah. where people would drive ride you around um, using human power, right? Yeah. And you pay them for the ride, etc. That that's the Singapore I grew up in. Yeah. Um, you know, that's really interesting. And what was it like growing up with your family? Yeah, I was different in, in, in some ways because uh, uh, my aunts were teachers, right? Wow. Um, um, and so uh, I got to learn English pretty early. In fact, uh, it's probably to the detriment of my Mandarin because we would speak Hokkien, you know, at, at, in, at home, but then pretty quickly we'll shift to English when I was growing up. And I, I guess uh, they wanted to make sure I was competent in, in English. But I was encouraged to read. Uh, I would I, I would take things apart, and that's where I guess the engineering came from. Uh, I, you know, I have a toy, I would take it apart. Sometimes it's not a toy, like a radio. Uh, <laughs> and then I won't know how to put it together again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes I did. Yeah. So, um, yeah. <laughs> But you, what was uh, some memories of you like taking stuff apart? Were there any things that you liked uh, disassembling or trying to reassemble? Oh, all, all kinds of stuff. I mean, yeah. like radios. Wow, know, radios, I would take yeah. radios apart. Uh, and actually very quickly I started getting into electronics because yeah. I took them apart and they didn't work again. So I was trying to figure <laughs> out why they didn't work. You know, um, so 
So this was from young. I mean, when when I was a little, you know, twelve year old kid, if I took it apart, maybe I couldn't put it together again. Right. But I think by the time I was fifteen, sixteen, you know, I, I knew enough about electronics to, right. you know, try and you know repair things. Yeah. <laughs> was that your biggest hobby? Just like you know, electronics, assembling. Yeah. Um, Sheesh, I don't remember my all my hobbies you now that I think about it. Um, so the first computers, uh, TRS eighty. So I'm I'm a pretty old guy. If you know what TRS eighty is, you're probably a pretty old guy too. Um, it, it's one of the first com- uh, computers that came out from Radio Shack, uh, and I was um, fiddling with it for the longest time since right. uh, I guess I was in high school by then. Mm. Uh, and that's where I learned programming too, mm, right? Yeah. Uh, um, so, so there's computers, but computers, I, I didn't have one at home. I had to go mm. to the shop or the school. The school had a nice computer. The high school had a, a huge computer. Right. <laughs> Probably the same power as your average uh, um, handphone now. But um, so, so I, I did software, but I also did electronics uh, and audio right i i had uh, i remember i had an amplifier and speakers uh, because i was in a band so right. i would listen to um you know hi-fi music you right. could call it hi-fi at that point <laughs> couldn't really afford hi-fi yeah. yeah so you were in a band back then yeah uh it, it was not like a rock band it was like a um, marching band. What instruments did you play or what? i was a drummer you're a drummer really yeah, yeah. uh tell me more what's it like being a drummer uh, it's, um, especially if you're not playing in the context of a marching band, is actually a really good stress reliever, right? right? Uh, and it's a very physical activity when right. you drum, right? And I, I think that there's something really basic about rhythms that all of us have, right? You see any culture in in the world, right? Any um, from sub-Saharan Africa to somewhere in the middle of New Guinea, that's drumming. Right, right. You yeah. just take two sticks and you hit them together, and yeah. you start to have rhythm. Right. I don't know why human beings are like that, but we are. Yeah, we are definitely. Um, yeah, I ref- definitely remember like keeping beat while also like you know marching in uh, uh, national service. Yeah. So, um, and there you are. You know, you're just um, growing up and uh, taking a part and doing your first programming. What was it like? Um, you know. Was it fun when you first did your first code, or you were just struggling? How did you get started on that journey? No, you, know? It, you know, it's like anything you get into, any hobby you get into when you you're able to get into a state of flow. Right. When you you don't realize like four hours has passed and you're right. just standing in front of this machine and right. trying to make it bounce a, a dot on the screen to the other place and back again. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's what hobbies are, right? Right. You don't think about it as hard or easy. You just think about it as something that's very interesting to do. Right. I think that's what we need to give ourselves more room to play with. I mean, uh, if you know me and you know my wife, uh, you you realize that I I still am into all kinds of crazy hobbies, Mm. right? Uh, Just spending time, just putzing around with stuff. Um, the, the, the fact of the matter is when we get into the state of flow, right? When we're just so engrossed in what we're doing, we 
don't notice the passing of time. Mm-hmm. I think that's when, at some level, human the humans uh, animal is the most happy. I guess I don't yeah. know what the right yeah. term is, but you're most in touch, or you're in one of the states where you're most in touch with what what you want to do, what engages you. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I I don't know again why we have these states that uh, allow us to be so focused on some thing for so long. Right. But we do and, you know, big monumental results have happened because of that ability for human beings to focus. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, that reminds me a lot of some of our conversations around like sci-fi mm. and, you know, I think your deep passion for sci-fi books oh, yeah, as well. I forgot to mention reading yeah. sci-fi. <laughs> yeah, that, <laughs> Is that when yeah. you started around the time as well? Yeah, high school. And, yeah. yeah, around high school. What was your, remember any sci-fi series that you started out with? Was it like uh, Isaac Asimov? Or? Yeah, Asimov. Yeah. Um, uh, Dune was a bit later. I think it was in college that I did Dune. Uh, but that that's my favorite one. Um mm. Yeah, the 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 sci-fi writers of that time, you know, Asimov, uh, Heinlein, all, they were kind of very PG kind of or, or G or PG kind of sci-fi writers. Yeah. So, so as a kid, you could get away with just reading a bunch <laughs> of those, right? Um, yeah. These days, uh, it's not always clear which what rating is on <laughs> which book. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, you know, I gotta ask, what's your favorite sci-fi book? So is it yeah, Dune? Dune, Dune. Dune. Why about yeah. it? Yeah, why is it your favorite? It's epic. Nah, it's yeah. uh, and it's it's a speculation of how humans will behave with more and more technology. Mm. Uh, I, I'm not sure if it's right or wrong, but it's the exploration of politics and uh, human behaviors and and heroes and anti-heroes just um, it's all the stuff that good storytelling is about Mm -hmm. but it's also all the stuff that good metaphysics is about right and all the stuff that good sociology is Mm -hmm. about and Mm -hmm. political science is about Mm -hmm. right Um, I I think that's why it took me to to college days to get into really get into it yeah so there you are, you know, you're loving sci-fi, you're doing, you know, some programming in high school, and then you go to college, right? Um, and I think that's interesting because this is also where you decide to major in uh, engineering. So what was that decision like? Yeah, It, it wasn't hard at all. Because, yeah. uh, you know, in Singapore, we have these uh, streams, right? You, right. you go into uh, business or you go into liberal arts or you go into uh, science or you go into uh, technology. Right, uh, and I was in technic- technology in, in Mangsil in my high, my first high school, and then my uh, junior and senior years I was in science. Right, right, and I wasn't there because someone told me to be there. I was there right. because I wanted to be there. Right, right? I wanted to build things, tear things apart, etc. And so, a- engineering was sort of the normal uh, direction for me to go. If I had stayed in Singapore, though. I might have done physics instead of engineering because mm. physics is the other um, is the other domain that I really find mind blowing. Right, uh, I'm probably one of the few people you know that binge watches watches uh, quantum physics and right. string theory <laughs> on YouTube. Right, <laughs> I mean, if you yeah. you know catch up on some of this stuff, your mind will be blown. Right? Yeah, 
Yeah. Reality is not what we think it is. So, so I, I, um, uh, but um, and the other reason for doing physics is I've, I was very conscious about time, right? Mm. Because I, I, all of us spent a couple of years in the army and uh, were behind most of our friends mm. elsewhere. Um, so physics was two years, uh, three, right. three, three years in in Singapore. Right. So if I stayed in Singapore, I've done physics instead of engineering, which mm. is four years. Right. Um, but I, I got into uh, a U.S. school, uh, University of Texas, uh, in electrical engineering. So I went there, and I got out in two years. <laughs> <laughs> Even faster, so I got Even up faster. Entirely. So I saved time. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and then I went to grad school. Right. Yeah. So what was it like, you know, moving to the U.S. back then? Because, you know, at that time, you know, going to the U.S. for studies was relatively rare, right? I think it was uh, it was starting to be today. popular. I, it, I was going there at a time where the, the folks here were shifting from London, uh, the U.K. to, mm. to the U.S. Mm. Um, there was a there's a whole bunch of people that went right. uh, uh, during my time, I guess. Right. Yeah. So it wasn't that you know uh, that unusual during when I was in Texas. There were something like a few hundred Singaporeans in yeah. Texas. Yeah. Quite a city awesome. number, yeah. 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 So it, it was a huge community. Uh, well, at that point, also they were uh, they had like double or triple tuition, mm -hmm. and I had a scholarship, uh, but uh, I, I didn't want to risk it, so right. I tried to get out as much as get. Uh, as much as possible done so that I can move on. Yeah. And what is it that you learned there? How to work really hard. <laughs> <laughs> what was it like? I mean, you know, so now you're you know, self just, you know, disassembling radios or learning programming. Now you're actually starting to master a lot more of it. So what was it like? No, actually, uh, the first two years in the US was what Singapore prepared me to do, mm. but at the next level, it, basically clear as many exams as possible and kind of as many courses. I, I was yeah. doing almost a max load every right. semester, right. including summers. Right, right, right. Um, and uh, so that was, and, and then I had a, a, a proctoring job mm. to do, you know, to just uh, lower my fees and right. all that. So, so it wasn't, I really, I have a lot of people I know from Texas, but not a lot of really, really close friends because I didn't spend time mm. that much time right. uh, so socially, so it was just uh, a lot of hard work getting through courses. Um, I mean, sure, I found things very interesting, like for example, software. All my mm. software courses, I had a lot of fun, right. but it's in context of you know clearing the courses. Mm. I had a very you know the the thing about having done the army is you get you get a lot more focus, you know, mm. you got a couple more years to mature a little bit mm. and you get a lot more focus. So when I went to Texas, I knew what I was trying to, mm. you know, I was trying to um, get through this uh, university degree without running out of money. <laughs> uh, so yeah. so I, I did that. And then um, I went to grad school and that was much more of a breather, mm. right? Uh, I, I slowed down and got more intellectual. I thought more. Mm. We'd spend a lot of time right up to 3, 4 a.m. talking mm -hmm. about what is consciousness, <laughs> things like that. <laughs> so tell us more about grad school, right? So there you are, you're starting to shift gears into more of an exploration yeah. phase. What was it that you were exploring in grad school? Um, so the, the thing that uh, sort of is a push between computers and AI 
uh, and, sorry, and, and uh, science fiction is I started thinking more and more about AI. Mm. So I decided to uh, do my graduate degree in artificial intelligence mm. in computer science. Um, at that point, this was pre um, what they call the nuclear holocaust for AI, right? Mm. So there's AI and then nuclear holocaust for about, AI was dead for about five, seven years and mm. then boom, it took off again. Right. Um, so, um, so I knew I was going to do that. But what I didn't understand is um, when you take a systems approach to trying to figure out AI, uh, you bump into a lot of the metaphysical questions. Mm. Right? Mm. So, uh, and I was fortunate enough to end up in an apartment where four of us and they were all AI people. <laughs> uh, actually, three first and then four in my second year. Yeah. So, so we end up talking to all kinds of hours about mm. all these fundamental mm. metaphysical issues mm. like how do you know you're conscious right <laughs> what is consciousness yeah right what is innovation how are we creative and can ai be creative right right, right. um so and you start to realize the limits of right. um what you know because if you want to build something you need to understand what it is you're trying to cause to happen right right and uh until today, a lot of my thinking and my reasoning comes from that time where uh, systems, computing, and metaphysics sort of met. Hmm. That sounds like a fun <laughs> conversation. Yeah, it, it was fun. Uh, yeah. We spent way too much time talking about this, all this yeah. stuff, right? Yeah. Um, and in, in the end, um, I, I realized... Um, It'll be a long time before AI became even close to what I was hoping it would mm. do. Mm. Um, and so I, I actually dropped out of my PhD and, mm. and went to work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm an yeah. engineer more fundamentally than right. I am a scientist. Right. right. So, yeah. so um, what engineers want to do is build things that the world can use. Yeah. Right. And I figured out sp spending a couple more years to get my PhD won't help me get there mm. right um, yeah so i went to work at a startup one of the reasons i went to the us was because of bill gates and steve jobs mm. right right you, uh, you look at them and you go wow these geeks can actually build significant companies right nothing like the scale we see today mm. you know uh, but they were still significant companies and right technology could make a difference right and um so i went okay let me do that right and uh um one of the reasons I was in a hurry to get, one of the other reasons I was in a hurry to get out of school is so I can do that. And I stumbled into grad school, which was fun. But then in the end, I go, okay, this is going to take a while for the mm. tech to, to come up to speed. So mm. let me go back into, uh, or go into um, into building companies. Right. right. Um, and I was very clear I was going to do a startup going to the right. US as opposed to go join a big company. Mm. 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 And what was that startup? It's a company called Gensim. I'm not sure what the status is right now. Yeah. I think it got acquired by some other company and it's still around. Mm. Was that like your first job uh, after the army, I guess? Yeah, the first job. The, the army, I did some programming yeah. because I screwed up my knee and spent oh. some time programming. Oh, yeah. uh, but Gensim um, uh, was a pretty, pretty fun company. I was the second non-founding engineer. Mm. They had like five or six founding engineers. And then uh, my manager was hired in, and mm. I was the next one. So right. it's a small company, about 30, 40 people. 
Um, and no, actually I was, yeah, 30, 40 by the time I left, I was number 20, 21. Two of us joined the same day. Mm. Um, and uh, and uh, it's a bunch of people from the AI labs at, mm. at, at MIT, mm. uh, or AI lab, I guess, single, singular. Um, uh, and um, um, they were building a real-time expert system mm. for controlling uh, processes, manufacturing processes mainly. Mm. Um, and so I was down at, you know, and it's real time. Mm. So um, you, you got to build a system to have a certain response time. Right. Um, so I was down in the core of building all that stuff. Mm. Yeah. What was that like? Any good yeah, memories? The, yeah, again, you, you I would spend hours, you know, forget time and then you know, be, <laughs> be in the office all the time to make sure things work. Um, yeah. I learned a lot about, you know, building companies. Um, you know, one 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 of the um, services people taught me. You know, really what it meant to have good customer services, right? And you, know, you will be driving to the airport to deliver a parcel to be airflown to an operating site, uh, just so they can get the latest feature, right? Mm. In at like three a.m. in the morning, right? Things like that. You know, they stay in your mind about what customer service is about. Right? Mm. So. So it's not just engineering I learned. You know, mm. It's about how, how you build companies. Right. You know? Were there any good mentors or bosses around yeah, that time? Yeah, um, yeah. Matthew uh, uh, was that services manager. Right. You know, and uh, learned a lot from him about, he, he was not one of these uh, very, uh, he's he, he, he smart, but he's, he, he, he focuses more on how to make sure the business happens mm. as opposed to how the tech works. Mm. Right? Yeah. And what did you learn about that from him? Just the attitude of customer service. You, know? mm. you, you, you jump through hoops to make sure the customer is okay. Right. right. Yeah. And so there you are at your first company and you know, you're learning. Um, so what happened there? What I realized was um, AI was still going to take a lot of time. So this mm. is a expert systems company. Mm. It's interesting how they um, how they don't look at expert systems comp uh, kernels as AI now, <laughs> right? Because it works. So yeah. Uh, like, yeah. the joke is, once it works in, in industry, it's no longer AI. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually a good light, actually. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So so um, I was just talking to someone doing machine learning and they are replacing all these rule-based systems. Right. And they say it's rule-based systems versus AI. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> That's yeah. how it works now. Um, yeah. But, but um, so what I realized is this stuff is going to take a long time. Mm. And I, I wanted to be more in mainstream software. Mm. And so I started looking mm. and... Um, uh, and found a, a small company at that time called Sybase. Mm. Uh, uh, it's a data server. They, they build data. So C Microsoft SQL Server mm. uses that uh, Sybase core. Right. right? And um, so I, I went there. This was pre-IPO. Right. right. I went there and uh, got into databases. And mm. I spent the next three, four years you know, doing databases. Mm -hmm. um, and that was... Uh, real education on uh, live uh, mission critical uh, software systems. Mm. You, know, you you crash every minute. You're down. It's uh, you know hundred thousand dollars cost to the customer. Mm. Right? Wall Street 
was mm. running on Sybase at that mm. time. So all your trading systems, right. you know, nine out of 10 were Sybase at that mm. time. Mm. Um, and, and so um, so we were in the guts of building all those systems out. Right. right? They're, they're pretty much like operating systems, at, mm. but running on top of them. Right. Yeah, but then I, I realized I didn't go to the U.S. just to work for other people. So, you know, pretty soon I started companies. Yeah. So that was an interesting transition, right? Because there you are, you're an early employee at two different startups, right, uh, mm-hmm. in technology. And there you've always been like a contributor, you know, kind of like making things happen. Mm-hmm. And then was it around then that you started thinking to yourself, like, I want to found something i want to yeah. start something yeah. what was that like no, process no, I, like? actually yeah. i i always knew i was gonna um start something mm-hmm. uh i had what i call the asian kid syndrome <laughs> well, let, let's what go, is that <laughs> let, let's go see how it's done let's learn something about it before oh, yeah. we do it right okay i had never heard of that syndrome. So now I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're, yeah we're very cautious yeah, oh yeah, let's yeah, see yeah, okay yeah, i okay. understand now okay I okay, it, right? okay got it got it yeah. um so so i i took uh two actually three companies uh so about four four five years before i started my own company right yeah yeah after school yeah and what was tell us about that first company the first company is a company called electric classifieds yeah. um and uh, we were there when you know um, the browser was starting to get popular. Uh, we were there when uh, about eight or ten, nine out of ten people on the internet were men. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, uh, so we decided to do. Uh, we we actually decided to do something like Craigslist, uh, but verticalized. And the first vertical was Match.com. Right. And uh, you know the history of Match.com as a public company now. Um, uh, at that time, we had a different set of problems, mm-hmm. right? Uh, like I said, you know, eight, nine out of 10 people on the internet were men. Right. So how do you build a dating website? Right. Um, and uh, it took a while, but uh, it got off the ground. And yeah. And you know, the rest is... It took a long time because ISC finally acquired it and then uh, they ran it profitably for a decade or so before they took it public. So, you know, zooming in a little bit here, like, so there you are. And how did you become a founder the first time? How did you meet your co-founders? Yeah. Um, okay. How did I meet my co-founder? So, so there's this thing called the um, Entrepreneurs Forum. Uh, software entrepreneurs forum in, in the valley. Oh, I didn't tell you I moved to the valley to go work for Sybase. You know, I just assume you know Sybase was in uh, near Berkeley. Um, the, um, the the forums were set up by people who were, you know, just like any forum here for startups. You, you want to start a company, you want to birds of a feather, you know, talk to people. So I went to uh, these uh, software entrepreneurs forum. And I, I met with a guy by the name of Gary Kremen. He's uh, from Illinois, too. That's where I did my grad work. Uh, well, he was Northwestern, but he grew up in, in Chicago. Um, got to know him well. Um, and uh, he had a company he was uh, that was doing backup for uh, Unix systems. Mm. So it's kind of a tiny market. Mm. And he wanted to do something more. Mm. So we spend maybe six months brainstorming on what to do, <laughs> right? I'll go to his place, he'll come to my place, and we'll just brainstorm. And uh, we came up with the idea of uh, 
classifieds, but driven by computers, right? Mm. So it doesn't make sense. The crazy state of the world, as I'll call it now, or then, uh, is it doesn't make sense for a human being to look through the hundreds of classified ads to mm. figure out, uh, to find what they need to do. You should just tell the computer, this is what I want. Right. And the computer should look for it. Right. right. So we decided to do that. Mm. And uh, he, he's a MBA from Stanford also, Gary is. Uh, so he did the analysis and he realized uh, most of the revenues from classifieds came from personals. Mm. Right, uh, so um, not necessarily the big uh, newspapers, but the right. smaller ones. Right. So we decided to put uh, to do Match.com as the first site, and we never did anything else. <laughs> we, we just did Match.com. Yeah. And uh, and uh, we grew it. Um, the the go to market strategies are very very different. Right. Than, as you can yeah. imagine, there's no Google, there's no Facebook. Yeah. Um, and they're mostly men. Yeah. <laughs> so, w what kind of marketing strategies would right. you create right. to create enough uh, of a momentum within a city so that when you go online, you could actually find interesting dates? Right. Right. So that that was a problem we were cracking, mm. and I think we we cracked it to some extent. Mm. Right? Yeah, it was like yeah, brain, brainstorming. Basically. Yeah, yeah. You know what are interesting things to do. Meaning, um, you know, prior to that and even after match, uh, all the stuff I did was build huge engines mm. for businesses, right. right? Software engines for businesses. And this is the first time I was thinking about how do you get the, the, the normal person who's on the internet mm. to use this socially? Right. 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 So it's a very different kind of approach. Right. Um, frankly, I wish I had stayed more in that space, mm -hmm. but my comfort is less to do with trying to figure out the human mind, mm. but try to figure out systems that mm. work for you know, right. well-specified processes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we spend a lot of time talking about, uh, you know, the nature of businesses we could build. And uh, mm. um, I think I, I was... Uh, interested in learning from Gary the the business side of the business. Right? Mm. Uh, the technology I could deal with, but I didn't understand, for example, how you raise money. Right. You gotta remember this is like in the uh, 1990s, right? Mm. So there was not a lot of uh, VC fundraising stuff that was going on. There was some, but mm. not not like what we have today, mm. right? Yeah. Um, so so um, I think it was, to this day, Gary and I are good friends, right. uh, and uh, um, and that's because I think one of the reasons is we we were looking at very different things when we started uh, Match, right? Match.com. Mm. Right. Um, and um, you know, at some point, I figured out, okay, I learned enough, then I, I went off and started uh, my next company. <laughs> Just keep going. Yeah. Uh, before we move on to the next one, you know, as you, what was it about? you know, Gary that you liked, right? Because, you know, a lot, I remember, you know, like every founder is always thinking to themselves, like, how how do I find or know if this is the right co-founder? Yeah. So what was it like, how did you first meet him and how did you know that you want to keep building with him, right? Because those are two different decisions. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I wasn't that deep a thinker at that point. <laughs> I said, okay, this guy wants to build a company. Uh, he's an engineer. He understands what I'm talking about. He's also got his business background. He's also done another company. So, okay, let's go do it. <laughs> 
right? And, and there's yeah. no deep psychological yeah. profiling and yeah, all yeah, that yeah. stuff that we do these days. Right. Um, it's much more simple. Right. right. And and my, my view is is like the same question you ask about your your startup founder. You could ask of your spouse, right? Is mm. this the right person for me for the next you know mm. fifty years, right? Yeah. Uh, so a founder maybe ten years, right? Mm. But still, you know, um, you at, at some level it's a leap of faith. Right? Mm. You know, you can think it through all you like, but in the end, mm. it's two things: a leap of faith and it's a commitment, right? right? And if you have someone that can accept that um, um, and can reciprocate, then you're in good shape. Right, mm. right. And so there you are, you know, um, you know, making a decision and you start building out Match. And what were some things you discovered or had to build from scratch? Because today, you know, the dating industry is very much like, you know, there's a ton of literature out there about it. It's very normal. Uh, in fact, you know, I think... Two-thirds of... Two thirds. Mine was about half. I say half of my million. friends have recently. Met oh, your a, friends. Yeah. My friends. I mean, it's not, it's not a yeah. statistical analysis. Yeah. I'll say, but I'll say about half yeah. of my recent friends who got like you know kind of like Match serious relationships through, uh, through online dating. So yeah. I think today it's a very much a cultural norm. Yeah. Uh, and I remember you know ten years ago, obviously looking at a time at OkCupid and Match.com and feeling very awkward about using it. So you even before then, right? Yeah. Like we were the so, first one. Before, yeah, literally yeah, the so. first. You know, uh, internet dating company. Yeah. And what was that like? Because I mean, I'm sure there was like, obviously there's technical challenges that you're building, but also there's a lot of cultural challenges. I'm sure that was about, you know, getting people to do something. The same thing, but online. Yeah. The the good news is at that time, everyone online was a techie. (laughs) (laughs) It it changed very quickly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. But uh, um, so, so there's less of this, what do you call it? The less of a factor of you know, this kind of awkward. Right? Oh yeah, because yeah, yeah. it's that's what tech is there for to make your life more efficient. Right, right, right. right? So dating, yeah, will make it more efficient, and yeah. the users went okay, yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, I, I'm sure there's a bunch of people very quickly that started to think, oh, this is awkward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but um, initially it was. <laughs> people thought of it as a productivity tool. <laughs> <laughs> this is a more efficient way to date. Yeah. yeah. That's a nice way to think about it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you think about yeah. how random personalities are, you, know, yeah. you go in the party of a hundred people. Yeah. How do you meet your future, you know, mate, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just total randomness. Right. right. So this thing helps you yeah. <laughs> be efficient. <laughs> I gotta ask. So, were both of you dating or single at a time when um, you were founding Match.com? Um, so G- Gary was single, yeah, yeah. Uh, and um, I was sort of catching up with my current wife. Yeah, at that point. <laughs> so, uh, so I I didn't use the services. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm sure Gary did. <laughs> and okay, so there you are, and you know you're better matching. You know, as you, you know, you put quite a chunk of time, energy, as you went along, when did you start feeling like, oh, this is starting to make sense or take off or, you know, um, be more certain, right? Because the initial phases, you're just finding. Yeah, match, I never quite got there. Mm. You know, one of the reasons why I I moved on Mm. to Interwoven was I I had a hard time trying to see how match was going to take off not from a business point of view but right. i think we had like 
you know, uh, five CEOs in the first six years, mm. right? Mm. So yeah. after a while, you go, huh, you know, mm. that doesn't yeah. make sense, right. right? So I learned a lot from Match right. in a negative way, right? Too. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, in the end, we sold the company, right? Mm. Um, uh, so I, at some point, I, I, I told Gary, hey, look, your, your engineering team is set up. Let me just go do other things. Mm. Yeah. And I, I, I did. Yeah. And that was interwoven. So what was that like? So now you're taking something that you learned from your childhood, your college years, your master's program to, you know, match. And now you're going to interwoven and you want to, you know, build this. So how was that search process for the idea, the core of it? So in my closet, I have a stack of, um, most skin didn't exist then, but notebooks. <laughs> yeah. right? Uh, with all the jot, right. you know, writings and yeah. uh, um, journaling. Um, it takes me on the average between um, six, on the average for the three companies, uh, about six months to a year and a half to go from, I want to start a company to you know, incorporating and having the first payroll mm. paid out. Mm. So it, it's a lot of hard work. You throw a, out a lot of ideas. Right. Um, um, I, I'm not one of these where I have the ideas first. I want to build this and then, you know, figure out how to do the business. Right. I'm the other way around. Right. I, I go, I want to build software business. Mm. Right. So mm. what do I do? Right. Right. And I yeah. just brainstorm. Right. A whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. Right. And so why did you brainstorm, um, at a time interwoven, but what was that in original idea? At that some guy wrote a draft book and I managed to get a copy of that draft book. It never got published called uh, Market Validation. Mm. Right? And they had really good ideas about uh, how you validate a market before mm. you, you you start the company, right. before you do too much coding. And you, you this is for enterprise software, right? So you, you mock up a, um, a product brochure, pricing, everything. And you go meet companies and go, if I have this, right, we're building this, you know, mm. will you buy it? Right? Mm. So, um, so Russell Nakano, uh, Russell was my first uh, engineer hire and my co-founder at, at mm. uh, Interwoven. Um, uh, he and I went to, you know, mm. all over the place in the Valley, Seattle, went to all these internet companies and go, and, and when, um, you know, we're building this, would you, would you buy this? Mm. And it's like 100%, almost 100% of the people said mm. yes. Mm. Because they were building big websites and there was no way to coordinate all the stuff that was coming in. Mm. And the, the the people were breaking the website all the time. Right. Right. So our system was a content management system to phase in content in right. such a way that you don't break the whole thing. Right. right. Um, so at the peak, um, you know, before IPO, we had this thing running uh, on um, Cisco's mm. website, which was uh, uh, three terabytes. At that point, three terabytes was, you know, filled mm. a room with hard drives, right? Um, and uh, the whole business was run on this thing. Right. right? Um, so you know, we, we figured that that was a product market fit. Mm. And I think very importantly, we didn't realize how importantly mm. um, we we went deep into technology to make sure that the workflows of the day for building websites and our storage system was hand in hand, mm. right? You could actually drag and drop a file into 
a drive, right? Mm-hmm. And that is sucked into Interwoven's uh, right. repository. Right. So you're actually dealing with file systems, which everybody knows how to deal with. Mm-hmm. And that's, it, it seems so simple because it's a file system, right? Mm-hmm. But the deep tech is, it gets sucked in and we version everything. Mm-hmm. So if you go, oh, I made a mistake, I can get to some older version. Mm-hmm. Now, even today, you don't have open source file systems that do this, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, um, uh, you you have uh, I guess you have um, Google Drive and all these mm. things that do some level of that, mm. but still it's not quite there. Mm. And this was like twenty years before Google. Right. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, and this time you're building the company differently, right? Because yeah. you had learned from you know obviously the previous two companies and then being a founder uh, in a third one. So how were you building this company differently? So I, I was the CEO. To the point where the the biggest things that needed to be done were no longer the product engineering issues mm. right um and so the culture was mine to, right. to define mm. um and um and the hiring was mine mm. you know so we, we made sure we hired all the right people mm. you know um and uh even the vcs were you know we were careful about it mm. You know? mm. Uh, how to bring in the right VCs. Mm. Um, and in the end, it turned out to be right. I mean, in, in some ways, uh, Interwoven spoiled me because, you know, I sort of assume positive things on <laughs> a lot of the stuff. And I learned, you know, okay, I got lucky somewhat at Interwoven yeah. because right. most of the people I found were, were right. great people. Right. Um, and, uh, uh, um, yeah. Um, in fact, if you talk to a lot of uh Folks from Interwoven during that period of time, they'll they'll tell you it was uh, one of the highlights in their career mm-hmm. because of just the strong group of people we got together. Right. right. We were solving a real problem and we had a group of people that had a lot of fun doing it. Right. Yeah. And there you are having fun and you something you said something interesting, right? Because that time you're also uh, bringing in the right VCs. Uh, and you know capital. What was that like on your side? Because you're the CEO, yeah. busy fundraising, building the company. I, I don't remember. This is like long time ago. Right? <laughs> uh, uh, I I don't remember all the details, right. but I did remember you know being a bit careful about mm. you know okay I'll take your money instead of mm. your money right mm. uh, and uh, being careful about the valuations. Yeah, and, and and this is where where I know what a first time entrepreneur uh, goes through when they try to optimize valuation. <laughs> <laughs> after a while, after you do this a few times, you realize the valuation optimization is should be there. It should be somewhere downstream, right? Where right. you're building the company, right? Um, I I think I was just I applied the same kind of uh, principles as I did to hiring people, mm-hmm. right? Just will I. Do I want to work with this pe- person the next five, ten years? Mm, right? mm. And uh, yeah, that's how I end up with some of the invest- investors that came mm. in. You, you're always worried if right. you're going to get a term sheet from the investor right. you like. Right. You know, uh, there's one, one case where uh, the the investor made me an offer. Right. The VC made me an offer, and reached out to shake my hand and say, "Will you take this?" Oh, right. <laughs> Uh, and I hesitated right. because I, I didn't have time to think about the deal and all right. that. 
And I took it back to the board. The board said, okay. And then by the time I called back, he said, no. Oh. Yeah. So I learned yeah. something about right. what that investor was looking for. He was looking for a decisive CEO. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. It's good enough. Let's go. Right. Right. Um, and I didn't do that because I was being my engineering analytical <laughs> self. Right. Uh, and um, so I learned a lesson there. I, yeah. I, I think it worked out for the best, but. You know, I learned a lesson there. Well, um, you know, wrapping things up here, you know, when you think about your time at Interwoven, what did you um, think of some, like, tough moments that you had there? Moments. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the, the folks listening to it will still remember this. There's a point where um, there was a disagreement. My mm. engineering manager or my lead engineer and a few we were like five, six people, right? Right. And a couple of other engineers disagreed with the direction mm-hmm. of where the product should go, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And um, I basically had to make a decision that would fire half oh. the engineering team. Wow, we went came to that? Yeah. Because it was, people were very passionate about it? Yeah, yeah. people were very passionate. They yeah. just disagreed right. with the direction, etc. Right. And I made the call. Right. So those two guys are still friends. those two guys that had to walk out were still friends Um, they they knew I was uh, you know I had they had given me a tough decision right right and hopefully in retrospect they can see you know it's fine yeah we built a big company right uh, took it public etc so uh, I, I trust they understand and they do because I've spoken to them since then one of them one of them became a teacher. The other one said Google. Okay. Yeah. That's both, uh, you know, if, as long as you're happy with what you're doing. Um, and why is it so tough, right? Because, you know, like, you know, as the CEO, you know, and then there's in charge of the whole business as well as you being an engineering and technical leader, right, about that process. What would you say was like the difference in the set of decisions you had to make between those two different roles, right? Because this feels oh. like it was both uh, both decisions, right? It's like that decision yeah, was both. Be- uh, because that needed, as a CEO, I needed an insight into whether these two guys were, were correct in the assessment, mm-hmm. right? And uh, if I wasn't an engineer, it would have been a really tough mm. decision. Right, right? yeah. Uh, but I knew what, uh, what the team was trying to do and you know, I, I appreciate their passionate, uh, their passion about doing things really, really, really right. Mm-hmm. Right, but I, I think uh, you know they they had a lot less commercial mm-hmm. um, software systems building experience than mm-hmm. than I did at right. that point. Uh, and I've seen Sybase, I've seen mm-hmm. you know uh, source code that stand up the world effectively, mm-hmm. right? And it's messy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> if you look at the in- inerts of a car, right, it, it's yeah. messy. Yeah. Um, but the car runs. Right. right? Uh, so I think they were a, a bit more purist than mm. is practical. Mm. And probably, you know, the rest of them could have been, the rest of the engineers could have been more artistic or mm. aesthetically um, on, 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 on point when, when all this was happening. But as a CEO, I had to make a call. It was at it was no longer at a point where can we all get along, right? It was mm. like, 
Um, and I had been sort of off, you know, doing sales and all that mm. stuff. So I didn't know this was all building up. Mm. Um, and uh, um, so when it did, I realized I had to make a call. Right. And, uh, so I did. Yeah. And so. Yeah. So that that was that could have killed the company because it's half of the engineers right. bye bye right yeah um, and uh, it did so you know. yeah I mean now that you've added you know more experiences then and if you could go back in time you know you may not necessarily have done a different decision but would you have done it in a different no, way no, I, I, so so the lessons you learn is how to get away from these situations when it's do or die, right? Right. As opposed to what to do when it's do or die. <laughs> like prevention is better than yeah. cure. Right. Yeah. So um, one-on-ones, you know, culture, mm. you know, uh, communications, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that. So the reflection is more like you didn't need to come to that kind of like situation. And if you had done more proactive one-on-ones. Yeah, team, you, building, team building. Team yeah. building. Disagreement. Uh, disagreement, uh, result, resolution, yeah. things like that. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. So I think Interwoven became a better company because of that. Right. right? Because you realize you, you can't have disagreements just kept under the hood. Mm-hmm. Right. You got to, you know, uh, talk about disagreements. And you see this in Monsil now, right, where uh, some of the more painful things we put right on the table. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's families. It's like building a family that's just open, you know, open with the problems in the family. You know, you don't hide it away in a corner. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you so much uh, for uh, coming on and sharing. I think the three big themes I got away from this was firstly, of course, was the like to grow up, uh, disassembling and attempting to reassemble radio sets. Uh, and that's how that kickstarted how uh, your joy with engineering. Yeah. Um, the second thing was like, thank you so much for sharing a little bit about you know, like a lot of the transitions, right? Uh, you know, transitions to the States, transitions to uh, becoming an engineer, uh, the transition from, startups. you know, startups um, and then across the different companies. So a lot of that um, choices was really interesting. Mm-hmm. And I think the third thing, of course, is thank you so much for sharing like really the um, insider history yeah. <laughs> of, you know uh, not just like mesh.com and interwoven but also like how you were thinking about it going in being part of it and hit it out yeah. and i think that's a pretty rare uh, look yeah. well you just have to talk to me <laughs> <laughs> anyway, all right all right you. thank you Ving. thank you for listening if you enjoyed the mhv podcast please share this episode with your friends and colleagues go to www.monkshill.com for more founders' journeys, company building advice, and insights into regional tech trends.